Our reading this morning is taken from the book of Romans, chapter 8, from verse 14 to 17. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirits that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. I'm Will the Curate. It's good to be here with you. Let's start with a prayer. Father, thank you that you're good. And I pray you would speak to us this morning and reveal something of your heart to each one of us. Amen. I want to start with a question this morning. And my question is this. Who are you? Who are you? Imagine if God visited you and personally asked you that question. How would you respond? How do you see yourself? What defines you? What is your core identity? Who are you? About 11 years ago, God asked me that question, who are you? And I pulled a blank. I had absolutely nothing to say, but I knew if God was asking that question, then it was of the utmost importance. This morning, I want to talk about identity. Because for many people, it's the missing piece in the puzzle of life. And there's a real danger in that because without a deep understanding of who we are, we can end up searching for our identity in what we do and in what we have. And a lot of this, and I've done this myself, a lot of the time we draw our sense of identity and our personal worth and value from our jobs, from what we do. And without even knowing it, we get all of our worth from work, which is why being unemployed can be absolutely devastating, because so much of how we feel about ourselves is based on what we do. And if not our work, then we search for identity in other areas of doing, perhaps sporting or academic or musical. Our identity can become vested in how well we do, how well we can perform in life. We're human doings. We think that we are what we do, And we also base our identity on what we have, whether it's the car we drive or the size of our house or the brands we wear, our friends, our qualifications. We get a sense of value from what we have. I mean, we tend to vest our identity into anything we personally idolize. My own sense of identity and worth before I became a Christian in my mid-twenties was based entirely on external things, things that I admired, whether it was having studied at Oxford as an undergraduate or whether it was later working for a city law firm. There were a number of things in life that propped up my sense of self-esteem, but it was a false identity, a false self, based on what I did, what I had, and not on who I was. And we've all been there, but why do we do it? Why do we search for our identity and worth in all the wrong places? Well, I believe it's because there's something deep within the human psyche that causes us to think that we're somehow not enough. We're just not enough as we are. Insecurity can reign in even the most confident 
among us. We can struggle to fully love ourselves. We don't expect others to either. And we often have a profoundly inadequate perception of Father God's love for us. It's common to all and it flows from an Adamic wound. When Satan said to Adam and Eve, eat from the tree and you'll be like God, the message really was, you're not enough. You're missing something. You're not complete, you're not enough, so try to be more. Reach up and eat the fruit and be like God. Have you ever felt that way, that you're not enough and need to be more? That's the Adamic wound, the result of the serpent's assault on their identity as children of God. He also assaulted God's identity as father. You won't really die if you eat from the tree, as God said. In other words, God's a liar, which means you don't have a good father. He's not really your dad. You can't trust him. He's withholding something good from you. You're not enough, and God's not really your father. And as they partnered with those lies, Adam and Eve quickly lost sight of who they were. I've noticed that an attack on identity is always followed by an invitation to sin. So they went their own way in disobedience, reaching up to be more because they didn't think they were enough. If you don't know that you're loved, you'll live for yourself. If you don't trust the Father, you'll turn your back on him and go your own way. And in this way, humanity became orphaned from God. How often do we follow this path, thinking that we're done enough, trying to be more, reaching up to be more, and going our own way? But in doing this, we diminish ourselves because it opens the door to a spirit of slavery. Slavery is the outward manifestation of an orphaned heart. And the nature of slavery is this. Slaves have masters, not a father. Slaves are not worth anything in themselves. Your value is based solely on what you do. So those with a slave mindset spend their lives earning and performing, enslaved to what others think and afraid of the consequences of falling short. Any time we try to earn our personal worth, we're acting like slaves afraid of the consequences of falling short. And this is what much of the world system is based on, performing for worth, because we base our identity in what we do and what we have captured by the fear of not being enough. That's the matrix we live and breathe in. And of course, this slave mindset can become deeply embedded into our Christian walk, causing us to relate to God as master, not as father, performing for him, afraid of falling short, driven by fear, not led by love. This is what happens when we begin to lose sight of our identity. And it's our very identity that the father longs to restore. He wants his children back. He wants to put the crown that Adam lost back onto our heads. It's why he sent Jesus. Crucifixion was a punishment usually reserved for slaves. Jesus died like a slave so that we in exchange could become sons and daughters of God. And it's why the Father has sent us the spirit of adoption. And our passage today describes the beautiful work 
of this spirit, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. We often think that the Holy Spirit's job is to convict us of sin, which is correct, or we see the Spirit at work through the gifts of the Spirit, but the Spirit is also given to tell us who we are. The Spirit shines a spotlight on our identity. What is our identity? Who are we? We are who God says we are, and the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We are the Father's loved sons and daughters of God. The very foundation of our identity is our sonship, and it is the greatest gift the Father could ever give us. Our adoption is the high watermark of the Father's love for us. As the Apostle John wrote, how lavish is the love of God that we should be called children of God. We are loved children of God. And the Father delights in us and takes great pleasure in us. The orphan spirit says, you're not enough. But the spirit of adoption says, you are enough. Eternally loved and securely held in the arms of the Father. We could not have any more value to the Father than we do right now. Not because of what we've done, but because of who we are. God doesn't need us to perform or prove ourselves to him or to each other because identity is a free gift. It's nothing we can earn. And we don't need to add to our identity through what we do or what we have. We don't need to strive to reach up and glorify ourselves because he has already glorified us. It will be enough for all of eternity to be a glory-filled, unconditionally loved, royal son or daughter of God. And when we get that, when we receive that on a heart level, when we truly see ourselves as he sees us, then the slave chains start to break off. And we can drop the invisible whip that so often drives us. And instead of living to earn love, we can live from love. And that changes absolutely everything. So the Holy Spirit starts by telling us who we are. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Could there be a greater privilege that we get to approach the almighty, sovereign God, creator of the universe, and call him Dad? And those words, Abba, Father, reveal the deepest cry of our hearts. It's the the pain of the Adamic orphan condition coming into the light and being met by the healing love of the Father. This is where real change takes place. This is where we encounter God as Father, not as Master. And we learn that intimacy with the Father is the purpose of our lives. The Father walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the garden, and now the Father desires to walk with us in the garden of our hearts. We are his children. He wants to father us 
He wants to spend time with us. He wants to reveal that he's a good, good father. And it's the Holy Spirit that opens our eyes to see God this way, to see the Father's face, to see the Father smiling over us. And the more we see who we are in his eyes, the easier it is to come into his presence each day. To approach the Father with full confidence requires a conviction of who we are. How we view ourselves will determine the level of intimacy we have with God. I'll say that again. How we view ourselves will determine the level of intimacy we access with the Father. Children know they can draw close. There's no barriers for children. But we won't draw close if we feel in any way that we have to perform for God or earn our way into his presence or that he may be disappointed in us or that we may be insignificant in some way to him. A slave mindset sabotages intimacy. But when we know who we are, it's easy to approach the Father. His arms are wide open to us. A.W. Tozer wrote this, we must put away all effort to impress and come with the guileless candor of childhood. The Spirit itself, the Spirit himself actually imparts childlikeness to us if we're willing to receive it. Childlikeness gives us the desire to run into the arms of the Father and receive his delight. Children love being delighted over. Childlikeness also gives us a deep awareness of our need for the Father. John Wesley wrote this, little children are lowly at heart and they know themselves utterly ignorant and helpless and hang upon their Father in heaven to supply all of their needs. Instead of going our own way like spiritual orphans in independence and self-sufficiency, we're called to be led like little children, led by the hand, led by the Spirit utterly reliant on the Father's wisdom, the Father's strength, the Father's resources, the Father's love in deep dependency and trust. Sonship is a place of humility and simplicity and the Father longs for us to relate to him as his very children. We never graduate beyond this, nor should we ever seek to reach up to be more. Eric Gilmore wrote this, men look to sit on a throne, God wants men to sit on his knee. And when we sit on the Father's knee, it positions us for a Father's blessing. It was the children Jesus laid hands on and blessed. It was a child who gave the loaves and fishes to Jesus and they multiplied. It was King Solomon who said to God, you have made me a king, but I am only a little child. and do not know how to carry out my duties. And he was rewarded with the greatest wisdom the world has ever seen. Jesus said, whoever humbles himself as a little child will become the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Childlikeness is blessed. And it's through being children of God that the Father starts to unlock our inheritance. The final verse in our passage states this. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. 
heart of the walk of sonship is trusting the Father to bring us into the inheritance he has for us. Slaves try to earn, orphans try to seize for themselves, but sons and daughters receive an inheritance from the Father, and it's all given by grace because of who we are, because of our identity. The whole of the Father's house is open for us. And there is encounter and feasting and goodness and abundance and blessing and rest in every room. And best of all, our Father is there waiting for us. Abba Father, Daddy God. And as children, we're free to explore and free to receive his embrace. Of course, all of this is contested The enemy doesn't want us exploring the Father's house or sitting on the Father's knee or discovering our deepest identity or moving from slavery to sonship. It's all opposed in very real ways. And this is often where suffering comes in. Our passage mentions suffering. Some suffering is self-inflicted. Some suffering is completely random and feels completely unfair. But some suffering seems to come part and parcel with sonship. Because if you are led by the Spirit, and if you're growing in your identity as a son or daughter of God, if you're encountering God as Father, you will be opposed because there's a level of freedom and power there that threatens the enemy and exposes his whole system of performance and self-exaltation. It's a slave system that he wants to keep us hooked into. There's going to be warfare. Our identity will be tested. Like Adam and Eve, we will have to face the voice that says, you're not enough. And you don't have a good father. So go your own way in life and reach up to be more. But all opposition brings opportunity for us to push deeper into the truth of who we are and draw closer to the father. And in the overcoming, there is an eternal weight of glory. I started to experience some of this journey in my mid-twenties. I mentioned at the beginning of my talk that my identity was in outward things, and when I became a Christian, I was was a lawyer, I was working for a city law firm, and it it was one of the top city law firms, and I had my own kind of sleek office overlooking the Thames, had my own personal assistant, had a really good salary, despite being, you know, really young. And on some levels, I felt, I felt good about myself. I thought life was going well. But my feelings were based entirely on my circumstances because it was a false identity. It was a false sense of worth based on what I did and what I had. So when God asked me that question, who are you? I had no answer. So one of the first things God did for me as a new Christian was just take it all away. It was out of Egypt for me and into the desert by the scruff of my neck. I was pulled out of law by God and I started working for different charities and different churches and obviously the office, the PA, the salary all just evaporated. As Hebrew says, he rebukes the sons he loves. But it was good for me because I started to shed the old false identity and it was a journey of repentance. But little did I know that that was only the beginning because the demon of performance does not give up easy. That need to prove ourselves, 
rooted in the belief that we're not enough, is tenacious. And it runs so deep inside of us. And so over time, my need, my search for identity simply transferred. It just hopped from one area of life to another. And instead of placing my worth in my career, I started to build my identity on spiritual things, on my spiritual performance, because my own orphaned heart had not yet been healed. So my need to perform continued to operate without me even realizing it at the time. I've learned that for a Christian who is really hungry and pressing forward, spirituality or being spiritual is often the very last hiding place of the self, the last refuge of a false identity. So I needed a second intervention in God's kindness. And having taken me out of law, out of my legal career, God took it one step further and he took me out of all employment entirely. And I had over a year of unemployment at the hands of God. There were absolutely no lengths the father was not willing to go to teach me who I was. And it was a really tough year. I just sat in a room for a year, uh, feeling like a failure and feeling rejected and getting constant kind of knockbacks from failed job applications. And I had absolutely nothing to hang my identity on. Nothing. You can't put your identity in what you do or what you have if you're doing nothing and you have nothing. (laughs) And the enemy warred against my sense of identity in that season. God's left you. You're not really his son. You're insignificant to him. You're not enough. So I had to learn to embrace and stand on my identity as a loved son. I had to wear my crown. I had to believe by faith that I was the object of my father's affection regardless of my circumstances. And it was during this period that the spirit of adoption began a deeper work in me. I remember waking up one morning under a waterfall of God's presence. Now normally I would worship my way into God's presence, but this time he was waiting for me when I woke up, it was pure grace. And this sense of being under a waterfall, it stayed with me for weeks, week after week, a thick, deep waterfall pouring into my spirit, just saturating me morning, noon, and night. And I thought, what is going on? And the Holy Spirit said to me, I'm baptizing you in love. And I started to just get a glimpse of the Father's love for me. And during that period, I I woke up one morning and the revelation just hit me that I would never, ever, 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 ever have to perform for God again (laughs) because he just loved me. It was the unconditional love of the Father. And it led me to experience the deepest rest in my soul. I didn't need to stress about getting a job. I didn't need to find my worth in my work or my identity in what I did or had. I didn't have to perform or strive or prove. The Father had it covered. And I was the object of the Father's affections. And it was more than enough simply to be a son. Sonship is enough for eternity. And I was free from the matrix. And I was free to pursue deeper intimacy with the Father. 
During that season, I was given a prophetic word from someone that God would not open a door to a new job until I started to take ownership of my sonship. And not long after this baptism of love, I was back in work. There are times when the Father won't let us move forward until we have a greater revelation of our sonship because the inheritance he has for each of us is so glorious that it can only be safely handled by those who know who they are. As it says in Proverbs, the earth cannot bear up under a slave who receives a king's inheritance. Inheritance is for children, not slaves. We have to know who we are to receive the fullness of what the Father has for us. Our identity unlocks our inheritance and our destiny. So I want to finish by returning to that same question. Who are you? The Holy Spirit wants to answer that question afresh for each of us this morning. He wants to reveal our sonship and restore our crown. Don't ever listen to the voice of the enemy that says reach up to be. Listen to the spirit of adoption who says you already are. And if you've ever felt that somehow you're just not enough, then don't numb it, bury it, or ignore it, but let the spirit cry out through you, Abba, Father, until you break through and come into a greater revelation of the Father's love. Amen.